Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we're jump-starting our Friday Birthful Stories, talking with Melissa DeVaris-Thompson about her two very different cesarean birth experiences. Melissa describes her first experience as traumatic. By contrast, she felt really empowered during her second birth. So what makes these two experiences so very different? Stay tuned to find out. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Megan Offling, a fabulous birth doula and childbirth educator in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who is all about offering women the information and support they need to make their own empowered birth choices. Learn more at womanofvalorbirth.com. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive pregnant or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast Stories, talking to new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thanks again for all the love you give the show. I really enjoy getting all your requests and comments as well as reading your reviews. Um, but now we're going to be having a story every Friday. So if you want to share your story, let me know. Come on the show and tell it to everybody. Now, I do have quite a bit of requests from people waiting to share their birth stories. So I am currently looking for more postpartum or breastfeeding or infant feeding or uh, partner stories, all any other stories related to those first few weeks that are not specifically birth. Um, fertility stories, I'll take those too. All the other stories that, so we get a really great representation of what you need to go through in this period because it's not all about the birth, right? <laughs> so before we start, I also wanted to let you know that in honor of this upcoming Mother's Day, I'm having a two-week sale from today until May 4th on my Thrive With Your Newborn Postpartum Preparation classes. Now, if you've been worrying that you're not feeling very prepared for life with a newborn or how you're going to deal with figuring out the baby you got and your new identity as a parent while being in a time continuum of 24-7 baby care or the strains that this new normal is going to put on your relationship, then do yourself a favor and get the Thrive With Your Newborn Online Postpartum Preparation course at birthfulcourses.com. This is really important stuff that ideally you want to know before a baby arrives. So to help this decision become a no-brainer, if you use the code MOTHER, on checkout, you're going to get $50 off. So really, go sign up at birthfulcourses.com. I promise you'll be glad that you did. And remember, the code is MOTHER because it's in honor of the upcoming Mother's Day. All right. We are launching our Birthful Friday stories today with birth stories from Melissa DeVaris Thompson. And when Melissa wrote to me to share her story, she said she's the mom of two young boys who had a traumatic first birth and a really empowered and informed second birth. I later discovered that both her births were cesarean births. And since we're at the tail end of the cesarean, April is the Cesarean Awareness Month, I thought it would be a great thing to start us off with her stories. Plus, I really appreciate a cesarean birth that is empowered because unfortunately, we don't see a lot of those. So let's hear what Melissa has to say. Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so tell us... Give us a little bit of background. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're going to be sharing today. Yeah, so I am a mom of two little boys. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm also a licensed psychotherapist. I have a private practice in New York City, so I'm a working mom. And I also have a side business called Honest Mamas, and so I'm a busy working mom. Um, I live in New York, and... That, I think, is about me. Yeah. And with Honest Mamas, we'll do like a shout out to Honest Mamas um, because we did have Sophie McEntee, right? Am I, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, on the show as a guest a while ago. So I'll link on the show notes to her episode as well. And so that way people listening out there can connect the dots. And, and if they want to know more about the, the stuff that you guys do, they can go take that path. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you wrote to me, you said you have your two boys, that the first birth was not quite what you expected. Um, Can we talk a little bit about that and why, not why, but what you did? So I'll take you back six years (laughs) when you were pregnant with your older son. Um, Yes. What were your wishes for that birth, and and what what did you do to prepare? So my I I prepared. I did everything. That should be like the the main the main thing for my first birth was if I heard about it and I heard it worked and it provided a natural birth. My path and my sights and my heart was really set on having a natural birth. And so I started gathering information. I'm a, I'm a researcher. I love researching and getting, you know, the most informative things and learning about things. So I started researching about, you know, yoga classes to take and mindfulness and breathing techniques and books to read. And because I'm a therapist, I was also very aware that a lot of times women, when they're pregnant, spend a lot of time focusing on what crib to buy and what chair to buy. And yes, all very important and obviously fun. And on top of my list, maybe it stresses some of us out. But I also knew that it was important to also tend to the emotional aspects of birth, along with the physical, along with like the literal physical things that you have to purchase and buy. So I was managing all of this in my first birth. I was very nervous. I remember still looking at the pregnancy test going, oh my gosh, oh my I'm pregnant. And like, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what to do. Like I was stunned and I was shocked and I was happy and I was scared out of my mind. I, I didn't grow up with a lot of kids around. So I re- I had never changed a diaper ever. Which is a position that a lot of people are in when they start parenting. Like that was me too. I had no, I had not changed a diaper for, I don't think ever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why it's such a daunting task. Now that I've changed probably like 10,000 of them, I'm like, it's one, two, blah, blah, and you're done. But there's something about them being so small, you know, like, what if I break them? What if I drop them? What if I, you know, there's just a lot of fear that can come with having a newborn. Fear of the unknown, for sure. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, too, people tell you things during that first phase when you're pregnant, whether it's wanted or not. They give you all sorts of advice, again, wanted or not. And so my wishes in giving birth were really a natural birth and an unmedicated birth. I, my mom had had two C-sections and that was kind of haunting me a little bit in the back of my mind. Like, okay, I don't want that. I don't want that. Like, this is a natural path. And I think my kind of, uh, you know, there's one side of it that's really empowering and really lovely and really clear. I know exactly what I want. But I think for me, it also held me back in a lot of other ways and didn't serve me long term down the line when I actually got the birth with my first child, that it was really difficult for me to to really understand and wrap my brain around why I didn't get the birth I wanted, because I was so focused on the birth I wanted, it didn't even occur to me that I could have a birth other than that. Mm, Yeah. And that is something that that does come up quite a bit, I find, like, I never, you know, moms who might end up with the cesarean, they're like, I never even considered that that was a possibility. So we didn't, so we were, you know, out of our depths. But when you were preparing, so you read all the books, did all the things, the yoga, what did your birth team look like and where were you giving birth? That's a really great question. My birth team was my husband. I chose a doula who I actually ended up using for both of my births and she is beyond amazing. And I highly recommend for me, just for my own anxiety and for someone to come in and support myself and also my husband so that he could maybe use the bathroom or like lay down for a little bit, having a doula there and somebody that had done this before, like not only personally, but also with many, 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 many other families, it felt really, really important for me. Uh, The other pieces of my birth team, I had midwives, and then um, I did decide for my first birth to give birth at a hospital, but it was definitely more of a birthing center hospital. And in the path of where I finally landed, I did change doctors and providers, I think one time, um, really trying to find a good fit. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward us to the day of, how did you know you were in labor? Well, I went two weeks overdue. Uh-huh. 
Yes. And so, you know, people have these words of like, oh, they won't let you go. And, you know, they shouldn't say that word let and blah, blah, blah. But if you know, if you're giving birth in a hospital, you got to kind of adhere to their rules. Like they have their rules for a reason. And if you're giving birth there, you got to, you know, just know what they are. So my midwives basically were checking me along the process. And they said, you know, this is so weird. When we've checked you, you're not really dilated and we can feel the baby's coming down. But then I would go a couple days later or a week later and they'd say, the baby's in a different position. Like, it's almost like he's gone back up again. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, this doesn't sound right to me. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, what's going on here? So I never went into labor with my first child. So they scheduled a um, induction and my doula came over in the morning and she is so fabulous. You know, she rubbed my feet and really just helped me talk through my fears. And so we get into the car and we're heading to the hospital. And I got to tell you, it was, it was kind of, I laugh about it now, but I had my birthing ball. I had music. I had my yoga mat and I was like, okay, great. This is, I'm going to do my yoga. I'm going to read books. I'm going to treat it like a little vacation. And the nurses were kind of like, okay, honey, like you just, you might want to save your strength because, you know, once we give you Cervidil, which is what I had, this induction medicine, like you're, you're going to be feeling it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. I got my mom to bring us sandwiches, which I eventually ended up throwing up later in the process. <laughs> but it was, you know, I was naive. I didn't know. I didn't know back then. Yeah. And and you just remind me of with inductions, it's so hard because there's so much to the process and it can take so long and it's crucial, like the nurse were telling you, to save up your energy because yes. once it starts, you don't know for how long you're going to have to, you know, kind of endure a tough contraction pattern that it's kind of artificial, it's been created. Yes. It's not yes. what your body would do. Like normally you are not in a in a transition pattern, which is like contractions coming every two to three minutes and on top of each other and lasting for a minute and a half and really, really intense. In a physiological birth, that tends to be a shorter amount of period. But with an yes. induction, that's the goal. So you end up being in early, you're, like your body is in early labor, but your pattern is of active transition. You are one of the first people in this moment to actually lay it out exactly how I felt. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Because these contractions came on so hot and so heavy that I was in the tub and I was out of the tub and thank God they had a tub. But I thought clearly I must be close. Like these are every time I kind of, you know, the metaphor I or the image I kept getting was like standing up to take a breath after, you know, you're at the ocean and like another wave would come and knock you down and yes. down you go and then you stand up and... I mean, it was so, so intense. I thought I must be close. I have to be close. I feel like I'm like giving birth to this baby in like two minutes. And so you're absolutely right. What you just said, I think completely, completely resonates. Yeah. And I'm going to link in the show notes uh, an episode that I did specifically on the induction process, um, which is a whole hour of talking like why, because it's tough. You think an induction is just going to work. It might not work. You think right. like it is not... <laughs> If you're having an induction, unless your body's taking over or only in hindsight, will you know if you ever went into labor? And it's such a hard, like I say it and I'm, I'm part of my heart is shriveling because I know it's such a harsh thing to say, mm -hmm. but it's the unfortunate reality. Mm -hmm. And I think we do need to dispel that idea that like, oh, an induction is just like labor because it's not, it's, it's not, not physiology. Right. It's not. It's not. And I've had both now. My second one, I did go into labor. So I can really speak to the personal experience. Obviously, every woman's experience is different. Mm -hmm. But being induced was very, very, very different than going into labor naturally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So which we can which we'll get to later with my second birth, I'm sure. Yeah. So you got Cervidil. Did they do several doses or did it like work right away? It worked pretty much a little while into the process. Maybe I got one or two doses. Uh, and then they, I think I remember them saying, yes, your body's kind of taking over. This is good. But I was, I'm telling you, it felt, you know, train, people also imagine it like a train coming through your body. Like, okay, here it comes. I hear it, I, you know, kind of hear it, but really feeling it coming through your body and then going down the track again. It felt like trains moving through me constantly. And I thought, okay, come on. I'm exhausted. I've been doing it for 18 hours at that point, unmedicated. Mm. 
and I was so tired and I said, okay, like, I think, I think I'm done here guys. Like, I don't know what to do. So, and I'd also been, as I said earlier, I'd also been throwing up. I'm very sensitive to medicine. I don't know if it was from the medicine or I imagine it was, but, um, I just didn't feel great. And my midwife checked me and she's like, wow, you're only, I was like, come on, I must be eight, eight centimeters, seven centimeters. I think I was like three, maybe four. Which is not bad. Like, to me, I know from an induction (laughs) point of view, starting from zero, you're like, whoa, that's like three or four. That's dilation. Mm. You're getting, like, active labor is coming. (laughs) Right, right, right. But when they said that, I just, I felt crestfallen. And I thought, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm in so much pain. Like, I haven't slept. I'm exhausted. And, you know, I was so, again, I was so committed to this like natural birth thing that I feel, you know, now that I have hindsight on it, it's so wonderful that people want to give natural births. And it's so wonderful that women are able to do that. But I think there's also a lot of shame around when you're not able to do that or you choose something different for yourself. So they, they brought in the idea of getting an epidural. Mm-hmm. which I had sworn off, you know, in my, in my naive first time mama mind, I was like, heck no, I'm not getting, I could do this. I'm, I've got my breathing, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, 18, 19 hours in, I thought, okay, bring on, bring on the, the epidural because I, I just cannot keep going like this. So I have never wanted an epidural so badly in my life in that moment. <laughs> and then it takes a little bit. Yes. <laughs> they've got to find anesthesia. Me. Yep. Yes. Yes. It's it's almost like that, that little part of my brain switched. Like, okay, I need this. I'm waving my white flag. Like, let's get this. And then they're like, okay, so it's going to be another like hour. And I'm like, what? So just yeah. for the ladies listening, just know that if you want one or need one, that it might take a little bit of time. Yeah. You need to get like pumped with fluids and fine anesthesia and they have to be free. Yep. Yes. And I will say, and I I said this to a a girlfriend of mine that just gave birth over the last week. And she said, Oh, that epidural. Oh my God, that epidural. I said, really? I didn't even, I think I was just going through so much with the contractions that the epidural that everybody talks about how bad it is to, for me, wasn't bad at all. So, you know, just to know that as well. Um, Uh so I had the epidural and, uh, They were going to kind of let me sleep a little bit and and relax as much as I could. It helped a lot. It really did. I was like, oh, my gosh, like I can actually breathe and relax my body and rest a little bit. Yeah. Then my baby's heart rate started to decel a bit. And so they got concerned. And, you know, I had this whole metaphor in my mind of, you know, or, or idea of staying off the radar. I wanted to like natural birth, staying off the radar, no problems, don't look over here, like I'm giving birth in the hospital, but don't mind me, like, let's make it as natural as possible. And obviously, once my baby's um, heart started to decel, they were like, okay, like this, we, we may we may have an issue here. Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Because we're gonna qu- take a quick break, leave people hanging into what happened. <laughs> right. We'll be right back. I used to get really upset when something woke me before the alarm and I couldn't get back to sleep. Now I don't really mind anymore, or I mind only a little bit because I use that time to meditate. If it's in the middle of the night and I'm still tired, meditating usually helps me drift off to sleep again. And if it's almost time to wake up, then meditating at that point gives my day a great and calm start. I know that during pregnancy, this having to get up many times a night can be super annoying. So turn it around, flip it, and make it an opportunity to reset your nervous system. A super easy way to do this is by using the Expectful app, which is one of my favorite resources to help pregnant and new moms find their zen and ground themselves. I really like that it's designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you want help with at that particular moment. So whether it's getting back to sleep, connecting with your baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, Expectful is there to help you out. If you have five minutes, you have time to meditate. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out yourself. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. So expectful.com slash birthful. And we're back. So you got your epidural. You're getting rest. Baby's starting to have some D-cells, not liking it so much. 
into what's going on, what happened next? So they said we could give you Pitocin and mm -hmm. we could, I think, I, I don't even know if these were the exact words. We could blast that baby out of you or something like that. I don't remember. I, I wouldn't trust my memory in that moment, but that's how it landed on me. Like we could really pu push this baby out or we could do a C-section, which of course I did not want to do. And I just felt, I, you know, I... I think for me to really speak true to this moment, it's really important for me to say that I didn't fully, tr I mean, I trusted my providers, they're, they're fantastic doctors, but the first time around, I didn't quite feel that they knew what was most important to me and what were some of my anxieties. And I, in that moment, you know, the head doctor of the hospital had come in because again, my son was kind of dropping and not, and then the heart D cells, like there were some funky little things going on. And so the main surgeon from the hospital came in and was consulting with my midwife. And in that moment, I just felt completely shut out of the process. I felt like it was like, you know, these two wiser elder doctor figures were discussing what they were going to do with me. And no one really explained it to me. No one really talked to me in a calm manner. I just felt really shut out and alone. Mm. Which is very hard because that's something that's happening in your body. You're like the the main participant in here in this thing. Right. And I think the other thing too that I want to say is that when I went into the hospital, everybody was like, okay, do your birth plan, but like don't piss off the nurses. Whatever you do, like make sure they like you, bring some chocolates, bring some this. So I was very aware of how I didn't want much medical intervention at all. I kind of wanted them to leave me alone and do my thing with my doula and my husband. But then I also needed them in these moments. And so it was a very odd and strange and upsetting and anxiety producing experiencing experience. And obviously my baby's healthy. I'm healthy. I'm very, very, very grateful. But you know, I couldn't even walk. A friend of mine gave birth a couple of weeks later in that hospital. I couldn't even walk into the hospital. I just felt so not great about how it all happened. Mm, you had some, I'm going to use the word because trauma because it is, you know, if you have such an intense physical response that you are avoiding going into the place because of the memories yeah. that are going to come back. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's in the eye of the beholder, but that sounds like me to you're you're still feeling and defining it as traumatic yeah and I just felt like I started to feel and again it's you know when you're when you're drugged up and when you're exhausted and when you've been laboring and all of this it is hard especially the first time I think the first time for me it was so hard to feel I want to feel empowered but I don't want to come off like I'm being bossy mm. or I want to feel empowered and really strong and really confident and really clear but I'm also kind of in the hospital's house if you will so I have to be respectful and I am a respectful person and all of that but it felt very hard for me to balance that because I was struggling with so much anxiety and because in those moments I felt like I was annoying my provider when I kept asking her to check me, you know, I was waking her up in the middle of the night. She's like, yeah, you're only three centimeters. Like what? <laughs> That's it. Mm. You know? And I'm like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I didn't feel included in the process the first time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to make sure we touch upon you've been saying, you said that your your desire was very much of an unmedicated birth and a physiologic birth. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily like to use the word natural because I, I think that's there's many levels to that. And yes, you, however a baby is born, it is a birth. Yes. So I, you know, everybody chooses their own path. But um, I think it's important to clarify that when you are have those wishes. And you're going in for an induction. It's hard, like right off the bat, those two are not quite aligning. Yes. And it needs to be understood that they're not aligning and that you need to shift what's go. you know, your ideas of what's going on in terms of like, I'll never get an epidural. Well, this is different. Yes. Right. That's not a loss. It's not you failed. It's this is not you dealing with your body physiologically in labor this is you're dealing with something else you've stepped out of that unmedicated territory mm. yeah and I think in my first time mom pregnancy experience I felt like okay it's the induction and that's it, it still even at that moment even as I'm on the, at, you know in the hospital and they're giving me cervidal I'm going okay just cervidal that's it 
That's where I draw the line. I was very, very, um, very, you know, determined and also very stubborn around it, which I think really hurt me in the end. Uh, because at the end of it all, I, f- I did feel like I had failed. And I mm. think a lot of women do experience that. And I think that's where as a society, we kind of fail women in feeling like birth has to happen one way or the other way. And if it doesn't, then somehow you're not providing for your child or you did it wrong or you messed up in some way, which is so not true. But at that time, that's how I felt. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so it's such an intricate experience that affects you at all levels. And when you add like being not in your environment, like in the hospital where others are very comfortable and it's their domain. So you do feel out of depth. Like it is. Yeah, I can appreciate you like wanting to assert yourself, but not pissing anybody off off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So totally. what ended happening? What did you or they or I don't know, decide? So we ended up they ended up having, you know, deciding that. And and again, at that point, I'm sort of like, OK, I want a healthy baby, of course. Um, so we ended up having a C-section. The one thing, again, that I don't think a lot of people tell you is that I was completely could not stop shaking, could mm. not stop shaking on the operating table. And my husband was like, are you okay? I mean, my teeth were chattering. I felt freezing. And I've talked to other mamas that have said, you know, I felt the same way. So I'm sure it's something with the medicine or maybe it's just the hormones or I have no idea, but yeah, the shakes, the shakes. So they can happen in any birth and it tends to be hormone induced. Ah, Yeah. Um, and some people get it more than others. But yeah, it's you're not necessarily cold. It's just your body's shaking and it won't stop. It's really annoying. Right. right. <laughs> so they, they performed the C-section and obviously I never went into labor. And so my milk, I mean, then comes phase two of, of the challenge is, you know, my, my breast milk's not coming in. And I was at a very... Um, supposedly breast-friendly uh, hospital. They had had a milk bank and, you know, what had to happen was that I was not producing enough. Again, I'm not giving my kid formula. This is in my own mind. I can't give my kid formula. This really did not serve me in the end, this limited thinking. But I thought, okay, breast milk. And some women may judge that, like that I used another person's breast milk. But they had a donor bank, which was fantastic. And so I was able to get some donor breast milk, which I was able to feed my baby and kind of supplement because I was also experiencing a lot of anxiety. I had so much postpartum anxiety. I felt like a truck had just run over me. I didn't know what had happened. Here I am exhausted. I now have, you know, C-section scars and all of this is happening so fast. And now I have to be a mom. Like what? (laughs) What? So I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And were you aware that that's what was going on in the moment because it's hard to sometimes you know see the forest but for the trees you know again I it's hard because I'm a therapist and I thought like okay I know myself pretty well I think I'll be anxious but the level of anxiety that I felt you know I was making sure he was okay and um you know and again I think a lot of new moms can experience this but it was it was tremendous and I also once again felt the the nursing staff after I'd had the baby um, were not very communicative. He had gotten jaundice. They'd come in and basically taken the baby away without really explaining much where they were taking him. They were putting him under the lights. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was a lot of coming and going. Nurses that I would finally bond with would leave. They'd be off the shift. I didn't realize that was going to happen. So it's a lot of these small little details just for me personally that felt um, really kind of unsettling. Yeah. And if you're a person who throw, and I'm not saying that you are, that, that this is your case, but if consistency can pre- can provide comfort. Yes. And this is a place where like you have zero consistency at any level because you've also just become a mom. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. And I remember there was one moment again where I felt I, you know, the lactation consultant on staff was great. She was trying to help me. She was actually a nurse as well. And one of the main um, doctors came in and said, stop with this breastfeeding nonsense. Like this is what, you know, just give the baby formula. I think they were concerned that I wasn't producing enough breast milk. So of course that added to my anxiety and and feelings of failure. Like, wow, I've now had the C-section. My baby got jaundice. I can't breastfeed him. I suck. I suck as a mother. Mm. Like, what am I doing? 
that all sounds really hard and it's a tough situation and you weren't nobody was supporting you it sounds like Well, I had my, I had my husband, thank goodness. And my doula, thank goodness. And friends and all of that. But at the, at the hospital, I did not feel, I did not feel the support. Even maybe there was like one or two people that were like, you're doing great mom. You know, like this is, you're doing great, you know, but I really needed more of that. Yeah. Really needed more of that. So yeah, that was my first birth experience. Let's not go into the second birth birth just yet. Tell me about second pregnancy. What were your thoughts in terms of what you wanted for that second birth? Mm. Yeah. So we got pregnant pretty easily. And, you know, I, I felt so much relief in just knowing kind of what to expect. And this time around, I made a pact with myself that my intention would be I would only do things that made me feel good. The first time around, it was, I will do everything and anything and natural birth, natural birth, natural birth, or unmedicated birth, sorry, unmedicated birth. And that's just my word. You don't have to, that's just my, (laughs) you don't have to jump into my bandwagon. That's just the, the, the vocabulary I use. Yeah. Yes. And the second time around, I thought, you know what, like, I'm going to fully just allow myself to enjoy this ride. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to need another C-section. I would love a V-back. I would love it. But you know what? I got to stay open this time because the first time that I wasn't open, it caused me so much sadness and anxiety and grief that this time around, let me see if I can just stay open. Mm -hmm. So, and I love the shift in that it's, you know, not about a checklist, but mm-hmm. about feelings. Yes. And I'm going to add to the list uh, an episode on birth principles versus birth plans. Mm. Um, one of the things that as a doula, I like to do with my my clients is is ask them, you know, birth, because there's, even if you have a birth that matches your plan as much as possible, it might not not seem the same like on paper Mm -hmm. it looks the same but the actual reality is you don't feel that way so um I asked them there's so much you cannot control there's so much uncertainty we have no idea when this is going to happen but how do you want to feel during Mm -hmm. birth and labor because you can that's pretty much the only thing you have control over is how how are you going to show up and how can others help you feel that way Mm -hmm. so I I think it's so great that you on your own from the get-go decided, okay, this is the shift. We're going to go on what makes me feel good. Yes. And I think it was a lot, I mean, for me, and I think a lot of women will resonate with this because I also, in my work, have done a lot of birth story listening sessions and things like that, offering it to clients. And a lot of it is letting go and processing the first birth experience, especially if that was a hard birth or the second or whatever it is is that I knew for myself that going into it the second time, I really had to tackle and work through some of the trauma that happened the first time around. So that was hugely important in my shift. Mm -hmm. No, that's key. That is key. Absolutely. Right. What did... And and not to get into specifics, but how do you approach that? What did you do to process your first experience? I, I spoke to... Oh, I did so many things. Number one, I went to therapy because I'm a therapist, so I'm a full proponent of that. I spoke to really, really close friends that I trust and value, and I shared my birth experience with them in a real, real way. Again, I don't think we give women enough space and time to really talk about it, um, you know, unless there are wonderful people like you out there that really hold space for this. It's really, you know, we we kind of, oh, but everything's fine, right? Like the baby's healthy, you're healthy, That's that's all that matters. Yeah, but not. You know, Mm. so I was able to process with a lot of really close friends. I went over the birth timeline with my doula, which was fantastic. She wrote down the timeline for me. She gave it to me. And together, we really pieced together. Okay, and then what happened? I don't really remember. And then, okay, so then I did this. And then this is what happened. And that was hugely important for me. And then I actually, and I'm not suggesting that people do this, but I took my, my, you're going to think maybe I'm a little off my rocker, but I got my medical records of the birth. And when I went to a new OBGYN, I asked her, I said, I have a couple questions about my birth. Like, here's, here's what happened. Like, I'm curious between this and this, like, 
you know, do you have any thoughts on why I didn't go into labor or why this or this happened? So for me, information was, and it was no, in no way to like punish or bring a lawsuit or anything like that. It was really just for me to heal and, and put to bed some of the issues that I just didn't understand or quite work through. Um, and that was hugely important. Yeah. So, and, and, and for anyone who has a cesarean birth, I recommend they get their records. And even if they don't look at them right away, just let them sit. And whenever they're ready, look at it. And if you're never ready to look at it, that's fine. But if, like you said, you switch providers, like you're going to, whoever comes next, if you have another birth, they're going to need to look at what happened. Mm, and so absolutely. it is vital for you to get your records. Yeah. That's awesome that you did that. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And so I, I think that that, I mean, there were, I think for me, it was a lot, for me, it was a lot of deep grief. I really had to let go of this feeling that I had failed, that this was my first job as a mom was to protect my child and give him this unmedicated birth thing that I had held on to for so long and really come to some peace that, you know, I did everything that I could. I did everything that I could. And at some I think my doula said to me, you know, at some point, Melissa, like what you're doing as a mom stops and your baby's journey begins. Like this is also his birth story. And so you really have to see that it's a give and take. And of course, it's a baby. It's not like, you know, a grown human being. But on a more spiritual level, for me, that made a lot of sense. And it really allowed me to have more compassion for myself. Mm, good. Good. So you cleared you know, you processed that first birth while you were pregnant. And then was there anything else different that you did in preparation? So yeah, I think it goes back to just really following the things that feel good. You know, like someone would say, you should go do prenatal yoga. I was like, nah, I don't really feel like it. I think I'm going to go for a walk in the woods instead. Anything that would kind of deescalate my anxiety and I started reading um, Pam England's Birthing from Within. I mm -hmm. thought that was a really phenomenal book. I'd read it in my first time around. But again, it really speaks to the more spiritual side of giving birth and being pregnant. And I think that that really just slowing things down and really allowing myself to take the time and being compassionate with myself. And plus, I had, you know, I had a, another little being running around that I had to take care of that I knew our lives were going to change. So I really wanted to spend as much time as I could with my first son before bringing my second son into the world. Yeah. So this time around, how did you know you were in labor? Well, I, you know, it's so it's so funny. I remember that was probably one of the best memories of my journey of giving birth the second time was actually going into labor. I woke up in the middle of the night. I, I had said to a friend earlier that day, I was due, you know, December, no, June 15th. And I said to a friend, ah, no one ever comes on their birth, on their due date. What are you talking about? Like no babies are ever born. And it was midnight, June 15th. And I started feeling some things <laughs> and I'm telling you, careful what you say. And I woke up my husband. I was like, honey, I think, I think I'm in labor. Like, oh my gosh, I think I'm in labor. So we, we lit some candles. We put on some music. My son was, you know, dead asleep. Obviously we, we had texted with some babysitters to kind of get, that was a big stress for me. Like who's going to watch my child? Because we didn't, we don't have a lot of family. We don't have any family in the area that we live in. So that was, I knew that that was my number one priority. It's like, who's coming over to watch my son. So we kind of got them on board. Hey, things are happening. I'll be in touch. And then, you know, let my doula know. And so I started feeling some contractions and was getting in and out of the tub. And it was really, it was really beautiful. And my doula ended up coming over a little bit later. But those first couple hours with my husband were really, I mean, they were magical. Mm. You set the scene, you take care of the environment and, you know, set the tone for, for your labor. And there was something just so right about feeling the contractions coming on without medicine. I think that that is also what you spoke to earlier, like this gentle kind of wave, like saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're coming. Yep. We're, we're here. Nope. We're not going away. We're getting more intense. Like it definitely allowed me to prepare, you know, emotionally and mentally and also physically for like the harder waves coming further down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can even picture it in my mind. I'm creating your mm. your apartment, <laughs> your house. <laughs> yes, my neighbors must have thought I was crazy because we did live in an apartment and I was moaning and like making lots of sounds, which I really recommend. 
Yeah. And yes, so much. Like, (laughs) you know, sound can be a great coping mechanism. And you can, the only thing is try to keep them low pitch so that it creates relaxation and not like tightening, screaming kind of thing. Yes. Um, But yeah, make the sounds. Roar Mm -hmm. that baby out. I love it. Yeah. And so as we were moving along, I noticed that I was bleeding a little bit and I, you know, eventually my doula came over and she was like, okay, I think you should call the midwives. At this point I had changed providers. Uh, and that bleeding's good. Nothing was wrong. We just well, wanted like, was oh, okay. <laughs> the bleeding it, unfortunately was not good. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, but it was, you know, it, it was what it was. So I I was bleeding a lot and the, the midwives at that point, again, I changed a couple of times and really found somebody. I also, the other tip that I want to give women that are listening the second time around is that I went into the providers that I eventually chose and I said, look, I really want to spend some time telling you my birth experience and what has made me so anxious and what my journey has been like to being here now. And my intention for going forward for this birth is this, like, I really want to feel like we're on the same page. I really want you to communicate with me. I do great with over communication. I don't do great with under communication. I really need you to like slow it down and really be with me in these moments of decision, because that is what I felt I missed the first time around. Hmm. And my provider was like, no problem. I was like, fantastic. And I told it to all the doctors because, you know, usually some providers, they have, you know, four or five doctors and this, this particular practice did. And so each doctor, I would sit down and say, look, this is where I, I was very, very vulnerable with them. And I shared with them openly and honestly. And I felt for me, it really transformed my birth experience the second time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's the, again, it goes back to that importance of building the team that's really going to support your wishes so that when you are going deep into the process, they've got your back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, now, and my, go ahead. Yeah. Um, if you're going to, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that bleeding. And yeah. because some bleeding is normal and expected and actually a really good sign, I want us to do a little bit of like, then you said you were bleeding a lot. So with, you know, let's, sort of sort out, yes. kind of help what's like a good bleeding and, and not so good bleeding. Well, when I called my midwives, I said, oh, that's just the bloody show. You know, that's what it is. No, no worries. I was like, okay, all right. I've never done this before. I don't know what it's like. I never had a bloody show with my first pregnancy. I didn't know. And I was feeling fine. You know, everything else felt normal. So as we continued, my contractions got closer and closer together and I was still bleeding. And so we went to the hospital and they monitored me. And then all of a sudden my contraction stopped, but I was still bleeding. And they were like, this is the weirdest thing. <laughs> what is going on with you? See, I feel a little less bad about my initial reaction of like, you're bleeding. Good. <laughs> because that's usually the case. Like, it's it is. Expe- right. Yeah. Okay. It is. It <laughs> is. And sometimes it's not okay. So I think for me, I just felt, you know, and my hospital was like 40 minutes away because I chose a completely different hospital. I felt really good about what I'd heard about them, what I'd seen. And it was, you know, distance didn't matter. So I just, that's what I, I plan to do. So we drove the 40 minutes and I showed, you know, one of the nurses or my doctor at that point, like, this is the blood. And they're like, whoa, this is a lot of blood. Like we need to, we need to kind of monitor this blood. And so I was, you know, just laying around my contraction stopped. So I felt kind of fine. And she said, you know, Melissa, I would, I'd love to send you home because I know again, you want an unmedicated, you know, births and V back and what have you. But I just, I don't really love this, the look of this blood. Like it's just, it's, it's not great. So fast forward, my labor stopped. They tried the balloon catheter, which, oh my God, it's not medicine, but wow, that is awkward to like (laughs) put in you and blow up and. (laughs) Yeah, please explain a little bit. Let's have a teachable moment. (laughs) So they put this thing in you and essentially they blow it up, I guess with, with fluid or something. It's supposed to help you contract or open up. Yeah. And then you have this like little thing still hanging out of you. So I couldn't pee or like use the bathroom at all with this thing. And in my mind, I thought, oh, well, it's a natural thing that they're going to do to try to help me go, you know, more into labor. So that's great. But when I actually had it in me, I was like, this is really awkward and kind of uncomfortable. So yeah, it and it's just a, a way of trying to mechanically yes. get you to so they can only insert it if you're at least one or figure yep. like you need some space to put it in there. And yep. it only goes up so far 
So it goes up to like roughly three centimeters. And at that point, after that, like if you keep dilating, it'll fall out on its own. Yes. And again, that's what they had said. And I was like, fantastic. So again, as I thought the first time birth, Cervidil, great. I'll have a birth. No problem. After that, I felt that with the Foley catheter too. Like, great, put this in. And the doctor said, yeah, usually it works really, really well. Yeah, it didn't work that well for me. Mm. <laughs> so I only see it. I, I only tend to see it in, as part of inductions, not so much mm-hmm. on a, on an, you know, unmedicated birth. Interesting. Yeah. But like the purpose is to move things along. So they were feeling some need for urgency, I guess. Yes, they were. I think the bleeding was really part of that. Uh, but the whole time still, I got to tell you, I was very calm. I was very, you know, just taking one thing at a time. I thought, okay, I've been through this before. Like this could end up in another C-section. I know what to expect. I'm not a failure. Like I was really holding these intentions and these mantras in my mind of compassion and forgiveness and really greeting each moment as it came. Mm. And I, I, so that how... How did those mantras help you? Like, how did did it make a difference holding a space of compassion for yourself? It did. It really, it made a huge difference. I think that is what led me, you know, eventually what led me to feeling like this was really an empowered birth. It didn't, the birth itself did not land up the way that I'd hoped it would go or that I intended to go. But I feel completely different about my second birth than I did from my first birth. And part of that, was definitely speaking to the providers. Part of that was selecting the team that I really felt were different than the first time around. And I really got them on board with what my vulnerabilities were and what my expectations were and what I needed and wanted and really heard from them too. Like, okay, well, where's your line and how do we work together? And then also really just remembering like, okay, like I am only part of this equation. I can only do what I can do. You know, just take it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. So then what happened? So uh, the doctor said, you know, I'd love to send you home, but I can't because you're bleeding. So, you know, we tried the Foley catheter. That didn't work. And I was still bleeding. We waited. I mean, they gave me a lot of time. And she she eventually came in with another doctor and that I had met. She was like, look, we consulted. And the feeling that I got, it was amazing. The feeling, and it may sound so weird, but it, the feeling that I got this time around, which again led to me feeling like it was such a different experience, was that I felt as if they, the image I got was that they put out a picnic blanket and they were like, okay, Melissa, my husband, doula, let's all sit down, midwives, and let's just have a calm chat about what is happening right now, what we're seeing, what some of our concerns are, and what our options are. And I felt, again, not every woman is going to get that moment. If it's truly an emergency, they, they, they do not have time for picnic blankets and long chats. Like, do not get me wrong. But in this moment, they had a little bit of time to really explain to me and really feel like I got on board with what they were talking about. And, and one of my providers actually said, I'm so grateful that you trust me because in these moments where you're bleeding a lot and we're concerned, and then again, my baby's heart rate started to decel. So that was another piece that started to happen. She said, I really think we need to do another C-section. We've done a lot of other things to try to get you into labor. Your labor completely stopped. You know, we, we, we might think this could be placenta abruption. If it is, that is not good. And, you know, we really need to get this baby out. Mm. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's usually, unless it's, an, it's a medical emergency, if it's a medical emergency, you'll know. Like, the room will fill with people and things will be, everybody will be doing things really quick. Like, there's no time for discussion. Right. But unless that's happening, my experience is that there's always time to ask questions, always times to go, like, what are the benefits? What are the alternatives? What are the risks? What are, yes. what if we do nothing? Like, yes. and, and the fact that they gave you that support, that they heard you, that you had ample time to try different things. Mm-hmm. And and I guess, you know, what I'm hearing is that you felt an active participant yes. in what was going on. Yes. Makes such a difference. And it's not that hard to do. <laughs> it's not that hard to do. But I think the key to doing it is to be vulnerable. I really do. I think that for me was the game changer. The first time around, I kind of came in like, yeah, I've read the books and I've done the courses and I know blah, blah, blah. Here's my birth plan. The second time around, I came in being like, okay, like... I got some experience under my belt and it was kind of traumatic for me and I really need your help. Like, how do we work together as a team here? I want to be on your team and I want you to be on my team. 
Mm. Yeah, let's all be a team. Yes. And I think saying, like, I need your help, we're not used to doing that because that yes. makes us feel a little bit like we're not enough and we're not super people and we're not, you know, like right. a little bit of a failure that you need somebody else help, which is ridiculous. It's stupid. We, it's, and I, I have it ingrained in me so deeply as well. Um, culturally, we do. And mm -hmm. it's also, <laughs> part of a like a parenting lesson because that's what you need to do also during postpartum and as your parent and like ask people for help you're not supposed to do this alone yes agreed so, agreed and i i think that's another parenting lesson that i got early on when a lot of people you know are asking so many questions about like, can I eat this? Can I not eat this when they're pregnant or going through the birth experience is that I think very, very early on, we get primed for what's going to happen later on where we can only do what we can do. And then, you know, your children are going to get sick. They're going to have hard things happen to them. Like we can't fully protect them all the time. And how do we sit with that? How do we sit with the uncomfortable feelings that emerge when we can't control everything? Mm. Yeah, and I really appreciate you bringing, you know, your experience to the show to to say, like, this is kind of what happened when I didn't ask for help. And this is, look how awesome this was when I did ask for help. How, you know, like, demystifying a little bit the idea that asking for help is yes. going to make things, it, it's going to put you in a power differential. Or, in fact, it raised you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was, it was really amazing. And I mean, when I went onto the operating this table this time, I was cracking jokes with the, with the midwife and the surgeon and just saying like, okay, can you do a little lipo down there while you're in there anyway? And all the nurses were like, no, we'd be first in line if that was going to be offered, you know? So we were just, I was completely <laughs> joking, but we were kind of joking around and you know, it, it definitely was a little bit more of an urgent situation because of the bleeding, because of the D cells. But I really, at that point, I had built so much of a foundation with my provider that I trusted her. And she really said after, she came in after we processed a bit about the birth. And she said, I'm so glad you did what you did because it allowed you to trust me. And in the moments where I'm having to make these hard decisions that have to happen kind of quickly, it is so challenging when my patient doesn't believe me or get on board or doesn't trust me. So she was really grateful that we had done the work to kind of build that foundation together. And so was I. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole thing, like for birth, you prepare up front. Yes. Pregnancy is early, early, early labor, right? Like you, yes. you know, both for you and for your provider, having that conversation early on and defining a bit of the terms and what was important for both of you and building that trust, you know, that time was so well spent because you guys got so much, so such amazing benefits from it Yes, on the yes. backside. And I hear, you know, some clients and friends say like, oh, I've been with my provider. I don't really love them, but I'm so far in already. And I'm, I'm always like, no, change if you can change it's and never you know there's too late to switch never 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 so just know that if you're listening out there and you're feeling stuck it's never too late to change it might be harder but yeah it's never too late yes never too late um and also like can we comment on the fact that you were making jokes on the or and how that <laughs> no. compared to the anxiety you were feeling the first time around yes i know it's funny isn't it Yes. And then, you know, and then fast forward to, I also chose this hospital because there was a lactation, the woman that was head of the lactation department that they had, she, she teaches a lactation class and she was somebody that I went to with my first birth. I went to, to one of her groups and she was one of the most laid back women I have ever met in my life. And for me, that is what I needed. I needed somebody to say, you got this, you're doing great. This is how you do it. How does it feel? You're doing awesome. I just needed a calm presence. And so after the birth, it was kind of really nice to, to see her come in the room. And, you know, again, my baby got jaundice yet again. And again, my milk didn't come in right away yet again. But I was so much more compassionate and open and okay with it. Mm. I trusted. I trusted. I just trusted. And that's a great point of, 
you know, uh, preparing for breastfeeding, like go and meet your lactation consultant. Oh, yes. Go and talk to this person ahead of time and see if you have the, the right person. Just, yeah. you know, because frankly, I know that I know that finances can get in the way, but I would say that every single person who is intending to breastfeed would benefit from seeing and connecting with a lactation consultant within that first few days of giving birth. And also, I mean, people laugh at me and I've actually met some really close friends from this that still laugh at me. They have a chuckle, but I went to a lot of the lactation consultants in my area. They offer a group, so it's more affordable and you can come and there are other mamas there and they sometimes weigh the baby before you feed them in the group and then they'll weigh them after. And a lot of moms ask questions and it's a great way to build community and, you know, get something a little bit more affordable. And I went when I was still pregnant. I was the only one there without a baby. And they were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm interviewing the lactation consultant. Like, I want to see how she is with other moms and get some more information. And they chuckled. But man, I really appreciated that when I really needed her. Oh, yeah. And it's great that you did that. Like, I recommend that all the time. Find your Leche League meeting. Find your breastfeeding cafe, whatever it is. And go while you're pregnant. You are going to, like, breastfeeding, you learn it. By watching. Seriously. Yes. Yes. Agreed. So go watch. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and and so you did cue us in into what happened and you ended up with a cesarean birth. Um mm-hmm. and and you know, breast milk didn't come in for a little bit, and so there was some breastfeeding hurdles to get over. Um, but you had better support. But do we know? What happened about what was the what was that bleeding about? They do think it was placenta abruption. Mm. So, you know, and they did say to me with the two complicated births that you've had is probably not a good idea. You have another child. Um, You know, just they were a little concerned about my health and giving birth. You know, for me, I could easily get pregnant. It's just I wasn't. I don't, and I say this like with a smile, like I'm just not great at giving birth. You know, like my body is just complicated for me, and. Mm. um, you know, luckily we've only we've only planned on on two children, so it worked out fine. But they they did think think placenta abruption, and the first birth the cord was wrapped around his neck, so that would be important to to name as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that cords around the necks are super common, though. Yes, yes, a thousand percent. Right, so that can be. A t- you know, depends on how tangled they are, frankly. Yes. And it's it not around a- his arm a couple times yeah. and then around his neck. It was, it was. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And it's not. A mess. <laughs> right. And so it's not a matter of like, it's not like, oh, the cord is tangled around the neck and, and you can't breathe because that's not quite how it works. It's more like, oh, the cord is tangled in a knot and he can't come down. Right. Exactly. Which speaks to the fact of like, he might have been really tangled for a while and them saying, oh, he's lower. Oh, no, he's higher. It seems like he keeps coming back up. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I think. I mean, that makes the most sense to me. Doing his own bungee thing in there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, wow. I mean, it, it, Every birth is so different and and, and different. And, and, you know, the fact that you were were talking here about a placental abruption, most likely, which is that's a serious complication. And the fact that even something like that, depending on circumstances, but if 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 you were being cautious and on the lookout and going like, hmm, you know, calling it not when it's an emergency, but just paying attention to the whole process and how it stopped and that baby's heartbeat was decelling and the fact that something that could have been an insane emergency was treated in a way that you weren't even anxious. Right. Right. And consider it a beautiful experience. I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. And so, like, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that because it, we often say that it's not, you. it doesn't, like as doulas, right? It doesn't matter how the baby is born. It is how you're supported and how things happen along the way that can define whether it's a good or bad experience, right? I, can, I completely agree. Yeah. And, and 
you just gave testament of like something that on paper wouldn't look like a great experience for many people. <laughs> right. But it was made to be a beautiful birth. It was. It really was. I mean, my, I have such fond, I mean, of course I have fond memories with my first birth, but the second one, it was just, it was really beautiful. And I really gave myself permission to just have him on me. And just, even if my milk wasn't coming in, just letting him try and just way more permission to just take it moment by moment and just not know it all and not try to control it all. Mm. Yeah, so much. And so how did this, and, and, and this is the new question I'm asking people, is like, how did these experiences transform you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think for me, going through the first birth, I was so quick to jump down my own throat, as you will, and just really beat up on myself of how could you have done this and you didn't do the right thing and you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that. Or if you did more of this or more of that, it wouldn't have turned out this way. And I think for me, how it really set me up for motherhood is that it really reminded me that you may have one way of doing things and your children might have another way of doing things. And so how do you find the midline between, you know, being a parent and doing what you do and allowing your children to be who they are and do what they do? And so for me, the second time around, again, what I mentioned earlier, it was so important to remember, like, this is my journey, but it's only part my journey. Like, this is also my child's journey. And I can do what I can do. I can do everything I can to protect him, to protect myself. And then there are things that I can't see coming down the pike. There are things that I can never control or will never know that they're going to come. And so how can I just be in the moment and just try to, you know, regulate my anxiety and breathe and take care of myself and do the best I can? Mm. And of course, you're carrying that into parenting. Yes, the daily moments. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, Melissa, if people want to reach out to you or connect, um, is there a way they can do that? Absolutely. You're welcome to email me um, or check out my website. My website is www.embracingjoy.com, and my email is melissa at embracingjoy.com. Awesome. And I will put that in the show notes. Um, did we get, was there anything else that you wanted to say that we didn't get to? I think we got to everything I wanted to say. Hey, yeah, I think that, I think that is, I think that's all. I think that's everything. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was a lot. Like, uh, yeah, I totally, truly appreciate you sharing your story. And thank you so much. There is one more thing now that you said it. Now, uh, now there is one more thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> there, 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 I think for me, really getting to a place of acceptance, I read some really amazing books around mindfulness and just learning your emotions. And so two people that I want to name, I'm sure you know, Brene Brown. She is incredible for talking about shame and really just allowing yourself to be wherever you are emotionally. And the other person that I love, she's one of my teachers, her name is Tara Brock. And she wrote a really, really good book called Radical Acceptance. She is a mindfulness Buddhist practitioner and also a psychologist. And I think for my growth and for my journey, those people, I mean, there's so many more that have just been so instrumental in just allowing me to feel what I feel and to be honest about it. Mm, I love it. Thank you for that. And was there, now, now you reminded me of an, another question. Was there any, um, is there any pregnancy or birth related resource that you would recommend? Well, I could highly recommend our <laughs> resource, right? honestmamas.com <laughs> for sure. And you can check us out there. We have a wonderful e-course um, and other lots and lots of tips and support for women. But also I really enjoyed, as I mentioned earlier, Pam England's work, Birthing from Within. I thought that was a really beautiful way to look at birth that was definitely more from a more holistic and um, uh, generational perspective of like, look at all the other women who have gone before us and really feeling into their power and things like that. It's a really great book as well. Mm, and I did do a show with Pam. So I'll link it on the show Wonderful. notes. Yes. Great. And it was specifically on healing your birth story. So nice. I took I actually took her course, the the healing of your your birth story, birth story listening. So yeah. I really enjoyed that as well. Oh, good. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. It's been delightful. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if you'd like to share your own postpartum or infant feeding story, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And remember to take advantage of the Mother's Day sale for my Thrive with Your Newborn Postpartum Preparation classes going on until May 4th using the code MOTHER on checkout at birthfulcourses.com. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful Megan Othling and Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me on Wednesday when I'll be talking to a birth professional to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening.